lot of people kind of miss because they're, you know, living lives of quiet desperation or whatever you want to call it. it. It makes it very difficult to connect to your humanity, if that makes sense. And that, that's something that I, I hope that more people do as a result of Bitcoin, because it does kind of give you a sense of independence. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us on another episode of The Bitcoin Bottom Line. This is CJ Wilson, and also hosting is Stephen McClurg. We are here today with an esteemed guest, author, Bitcoin luminary, Jimmy Song. Well, I didn't know I was a luminary, but thanks. I like luminary better than thought leader, right? (laughs) Either one, I'm I'm very much uh, complimented by that introduction. Thank you. Well, and and with the Bitcoin behind you, it does look like a halo. So, Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I I guess it does a little bit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what we need. I, I will wear a cowboy hat. Uh, when I go to Texas, if I can get it from like a top down, like a Bitcoin print on top of the cowboy hat, I think then that would, that would bring me into the fold of the cowboy hat game. Okay. Challenge accepted. I think we're going to have to go try to figure one of those out. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that is unique for you is that you're sort of on various platforms and you're accessible as a, as a Bitcoin, like, like I said earlier, a luminary, which to me is a better term than a thought leader. Um, you're an author. You're a clubhouse host. You're a Twitter spaces legend. Uh, your tweets are great. I even get your stuff on LinkedIn, right? And you're sort of all over the place. Um, you, so what, I guess, what has allowed you to clarify your position on this? Because I know you've been in Bitcoin a long time, but what gives mm. you this, this sort of impetus to keep on going and keep producing content for all of us clubs out there? Uh, well, I mean, I, I feel like I owe Bitcoin something because Bitcoin has been really good to me. Um, and, you know, I've been in this space a long time, like 10 years now. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember back in the day when, you know, like seeing like a news article on Bitcoin uh, on anything Bitcoin related was a big deal because like just nobody talked about it at all. So uh, for me, like producing the content is a way to help others on their journey, because I remember when I started like. I just couldn't find a lot of good content and like uh, the, the way um, it is now, you know, there, there's a lot of conflicting voices, a lot of noise, and it's, it's hard to sort of cut through that and sort of understand what's going on. So I try to, you know, simplify things and help people out and uh, help them uh, help other people hopefully come towards uh, the place that I'm at. Um, And, you know, it's taken me years to get there. So I, I get it. It, it's not easy to understand what Bitcoin is and its uh, value proposition. It's very easy to see it as some speculative frenzy or a lottery ticket or something to that effect. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm just trying to help others because you know Bitcoin has helped me in many ways, uh, especially financial. Yeah, well, I, you know, I have to tip my hat to you because um, you know my my wife. I try to explain Bitcoin to her for about six years now. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a finance bro. I came from Wall Street and uh, and I think I was probably speaking to her from a from a from a from a Wall Street perspective and she never really understood it. You know, and then and then the summer she actually read your book, Thank God for Bitcoin. And uh, and then and then also listened to the uh, audio version. And she came back. She goes, oh, I, I, I totally get this. I'm, I'm, and she's been sending it out to all of her friends, all of her mom groups. They're like, oh, you got to listen to this. This is, this is, this is amazing. And they're, and they're all listening to it as well. And 
they now they know more about Bitcoin than than than, than any of us. So it's fantastic. <laughs> well, that that that's great, and we we did try to come up with a, a very different argument in that book because uh, we've seen a lot of things out there, and you can make the investment case fairly easily. I think hundred fifty to two hundred percent per year is. Uh, it's pretty good if you're in the investment world. But for most people, that's not enough to sort of like get them into it. Um, they need to see sort of the um, the higher level view, uh, you know, a level above sort of like mere, you know, monetary gain. Um, although that, that that's a good thing, too. Um, but there there's uh, something more to it that I think uh, we were trying to capture that I think uh, we did a decent job of on, with the book. Um, I, I really have to thank my co-authors who who really, uh, you know, help bring this about and make make it uh, what it is. But yeah, I, um, I, I'm, I'm so glad that's happening. And thanks thanks for your wife uh, recommending the book to all her friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think like one of the things that I really like so much, Jimmy, about your writing is that I think a lot of people, when they're first getting into a subject, right, mm-hmm. they, they overcomplicate things. They, they allow all these different externalities to sort of filter in and it becomes word salad. And I think, you know, when you look at, I I look at, I look at writing as an art for sure. Right. So I was a Mm -hmm. screenwriting major in college and I studied that. And I, I I feel like when I read a really good screenplay, there's a, there's a clarity there that you don't Mm -hmm. see in a lot of other, a lot of other writing. Cause some people be like, oh, I'm going to write a book and it's a thousand pages, but it doesn't need to be, you know? (laughs) And I think when, when, when you look at artists, certain artists, right, they overcomplicate the picture. And it doesn't allow the the person that's the viewer to connect with it. But when I read your when I read your tweets, they they have this sort of like poetic tightness, which is similar to like a a really simple Picasso drawing, right? And there's this <laughs> there's this story about Picasso where someone says, "Oh, can you draw me a bird?" And he draws like a perfect outline of a bird in like a very Picasso, like a little penguin or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, someone says. Okay, so how much you know? How much would you sell that for? And he goes, oh, ten thousand dollars. And he goes, wait, you just—it took you thirty seconds to to draw that. And he goes, <laughs> it took me forty years to be able to draw that in thirty seconds. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that that sort of that clarity, that writing, you know, over and over and over again, you're refining and refining and refining. So when you put out a tweet that's maybe like eighteen or twenty words, it really, you know, each of those words is so—it's got so much gravitas that it sort of dips into this big like this big pool of meaning that's way further than just those words and because of the way they're linked together. And so in that sense, I think that you're able to take this sort of like mathematical approach to your writing and then you together and it's this bridge between purpose and math. And that's like you're saying, you get this, the spiritual case for Bitcoin or the, the sort of ethical case for Bitcoin beyond just, hey, make money. And I think mm-hmm. that that connects with a lot of people. It connects with me a lot personally. No, well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I, yeah, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the word mathematical because I was a math major back in college, and that that was how I kind of saw the world. And uh, it was, you know, like uh, you know, proofs and uh, figuring things out and trying to distill very complex concepts into the simplest way that I could think of uh, in order to write uh, a lot of these proofs or solve these problems and so on. So I think that's definitely carried over a little bit to my writing, but it's, that's not just my writing, right? Like a lot of it is, um, you know, with my co-authors and, uh, you know, trying to explain to each other what we mean. Uh, and I think that that definitely has, um, an effect on how I tend to express things, uh, like having to explain it multiple times. Um, you know, it's it's just like baseball. It's a lot of reps, and if you get mm-hmm. enough reps, you get you get 
Uh, you get certain things that work. And once you notice it works, it's like, okay, let's, let's use this again. And oftentimes my tweets come from explaining something to somebody like, like an hour before. And it's like, Hey, you know, that wouldn't make a bad tweet. And then I'll, I'll write it up and that, that'll be it. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I, in a way it's humbling because like, some of the things that I think are like very clear are completely obscure to people. Other things that I think would be obscure are completely clear to others. And it's, 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 uh, you know, it, it takes some, you know, market, um, feedback to really get that. And, uh, I, I really appreciate that about Twitter and all these social platforms is that you do have the ability to sort of like see what works and what doesn't. And, trial and error and getting a lot of reps that 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 really helps so do you have like a test audience like a like a like a unit of six or ten people that you're like guys i'm I'm trying this new thing out like a stand-up comic would be like hey i got this new bit let me talk about peanut butter and you know the joke about peanut butter or whatever um do you have like a like a group of because i know i've bounced a couple things off you that i've written mm-hmm. that i'm sort of really rough um but do you do you kind of go through the same process as well yeah, uh, usually they'll start out as some sort of conversation or something that I've been reading. So I, I have something in mind already. And then I'll try to explain what I read or the thoughts that I have with somebody. And I, I'm, a, I'm very much an external thinker. So I need to talk things out in order to um, get it, uh, um, I guess, put words to what, I, what I'm thinking. Um, and you, sometimes it just completely doesn't land. They're like, well, what are you talking about? I don't, know. I don't understand. And it's in that sort of like, um, it's in that middle of that dialogue that, uh, that, that something forges, uh, that clarity of thinking that you were talking about. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to put that down on paper and sometimes it doesn't work. I'll, I, I've, uh, you know, and I do have some people that I'll just ask to read my stuff and, see if they uh, understand it or uh, if something's not clear, they'll let me know. And that, that's usually the best feedback is, hey, I don't understand what you're saying right here. Um, that, that to me is like a huge indicator. Okay, I need to go in there and really dig in and uh, you know, try to uh, slow that, that part of the writing down or something like that and explaining it uh, in more sentences and so on. Um, but yeah, that, that's usually the process. And I do have a lot of people that I'm thankful to be able to talk to, including you, CJ. Like sometimes, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be talking to you about something and it's like, okay, well, that's, that's a really interesting thought that, that, that can be something that I can, uh, I can put on, uh, Twitter or something else or, um, even in my newsletters or something like that, I'll, I'll just, okay, that, that, that in itself is something that I can get out. And that's the whole process of writing, right? It, it's, uh-huh. uh, it's sort of like externalized thinking. Um, and oftentimes I, I don't know what I'll write about and I'll, I, I'll have a germ of an idea and then I'll, I'll just keep writing to clarify what it is that I'm thinking. It's, a uh, um, I, I think that, uh, that's what like Montaigne wrote many years ago about how, like that's what essay writing is. It's uh, it's refining your thoughts and uh, trying trying to put them on paper and trying to explain it to somebody else um, has this very clarifying effect, which uh, which I find very valuable, and I'm sure you do too. Yeah. Well, talking about the spiritual the spiritual aspect and the spiritual journey and and how sometimes that may have coincided with 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 things like Bitcoin or or, or other things and. You know, CJ and I had a lot of really good conversations, but we were in Miami and as, mm-hmm. as all three of us did. But uh, so so I actually uh, got a master's degree in, in religious studies. A lot of a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that. 
and I spent time in Israel uh, doing archaeology. And one of my professors, when I was doing that, was one of the largest uh, um, ancient coin collectors uh, in the world. Uh, so, so not only did I get to experience, you know, the Holy Land, I got to experience uh, a lot of different, um, a lot of different religious um, uh, customs all in one place, but also got to see the history of a lot of those movements and and, and really start to understand. Well, you know, in some aspects, the rarity of of of, of certain coins, right? Um, mm-hmm. That you know, they're, they're just not making more ancient Roman coins from two thousand years ago. Right. So, uh, so, so, so numismatics was really something that I got into, uh, this was about 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. when the concept of Bitcoin came out, it, it, it kind of made sense to me. It's like, Oh, there's only, there's only 21 million of these things. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like, just like the coins from, from ancient, ancient Rome and ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so it, it, it made a lot of sense. And, uh, and it was just interesting to me how that, that, that coincided with, with, with my own religious journey. And, uh, and, and, and where I was at at the time and, 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 and experience. So, uh, even though I never thought that they would be related, they just mm-hmm. happened to happen at the same time. What's interesting to me is that you relate the two and that's mm-hmm. not something that I would ever do. I, I, I would have never thought of doing that. So, uh, I'm just kind of curious about your own spiritual journey and, and, and how you got there and how you decided to integrate the, uh, you know, the concepts of economics and finance into religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, I, I grew up Christian, uh, more or less since I immigrated to America as an eight year old. So, um, I was born in Korea and, um, and my parents weren't Christian at the time. But once we immigrated to the U.S., uh, you know, they, uh, you know, didn't speak English very well. So they, they wanted some, you know, Korean friends. So, you know, one of the things that they did was go to a Korean church. And, uh, about a month after we arrived, this was, 1985, uh, we were attending church every single week. And I knew uh, something was up when my dad stopped smoking. And if you, you have to understand, my dad at the time was a five pack a day smoker, like, like literal chain smoker, just wow, you know, like so much that he would have, he would like two cigarettes, leave one on the ashtray, smoke, uh, smoke from one and, uh, and grab the other one and put the other one on. Like it, it was crazy, but he stopped smoking cold turkey about two months after we uh, started going to church. So I knew something was up. Um, so that that was a pretty big impressionable thing for me. And uh, and I gave my life to Christ, um, you know, about a year after that. Um, and uh, that, that's been a part of who I am for, you know, the better part of like 30 years or so. So for me, it was... Um, it, it, it's always been a part of my life and it's, uh, it's something that I've always tried to live by. Um, but you know, I, I think to get more into your question, you know, how, how did I like end up sort of like coming into, um, you know, making this, uh, argument? Uh, well, I, I, I started becoming much more public with my Bitcoin stuff back in 2017. And this was like the era of the Segwit wars and the block size wars and things like that. Um, and I very quickly realized, uh, that, you know, I, uh, like I, if you read like my early writing, I I'm trying to be kind of like moderate, right? Like I'm trying to thread the needle and trying to satisfy all sides and stuff like that and saying, okay, well, we don't really need a block size increase and we don't really need segwit either. We can, you know, like Bitcoin will be fine. 
as it is. And I, I, I still believe that to some degree, but um, I was very conciliatory. And I realized that uh, a large part of that, I think, um, came from sort of like the golden handcuffs of uh, being employed, right? Like uh, you, you have an employer. At the time, my employer was Paxos, which is, um, you know, they, they run ItBit, an exchange out of New York and so on. And, and I, uh, I had developed this mentality, I think, from being in sort of like corporate America, even though I was mostly a startup guy, like just having my opinions largely beholden to, um, you know, uh, like the people that I work for and so on. So when I finally like quit that job, like in July, August, um, and went off on my own, I discovered that there was a freedom in doing that, right? Like, cause I can, I can express my opinion and I could be authentic. And, uh, interestingly enough, the guy that really taught me this is, uh, is Tone Bays. He, uh, so I was on a lot of streams with him and he's a trader and, you know, he, uh, I, I, like he and I sort of like, uh, became sort of like this, uh, uh, you know, podcasting YouTube people together, I guess. And, uh, and he showed me that like, you know, you could be authentic and people actually respect that. Um, and that's something that I, I really wanted to take to heart. And, uh, you know, the, because I wasn't necessarily like chained to another company, I was just doing my own thing. Um, I, I, I became a lot more open with, uh, you know, who I was and, you know, my faith, especially, um, and that led to different things. Like I, I started meeting people at conferences and I would be like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. And, you know, I, I would let people know. And then other people would tell me, Hey, I'm a Christian too. And, um, that eventually led to, uh, the Bible study that we ended up doing to, uh, to, uh, and we, we ended up doing a zoom Bible study during, uh, during COVID. And that eventually led to, us writing the book. Uh, but a large part of it was we were just kind of curious, like, hey, like, what does the Bible say about uh, about money? And then, okay, let's read some economic textbooks, Austrian economic textbooks written by Christians and see what they say. Um, and honestly, like the, a lot of what we wrote is from exactly uh, the books that we read. It's just that they didn't have Bitcoin at the end. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that uh, sort of like Merging of the two is not something I expected either, but in retrospect, it makes perfect sense. Um, they're both a big part of who I am. And, uh, you know, to have sort of like an, uh, an integrated personality and not, not just sort of like have multiple personalities that are like for different groups or whatever. Um, you know, there, there's a consistency that you need to have. I think like, you know, being in the corporate world, there's a very strong tendency to have multiple personalities, your work personality, and then your social personality, and then this other personality, you know, like when, when you are sort of like your own boss, and you, you do things for yourself, you can be kind of like one personality in all places. And, um, and I think that that's something that I didn't realize until I came out of the corporate world and started working for myself. So I would say that that was the most uh, the biggest influence. And that's ultimately what led to writing that book, uh, with, uh, you know, seven other people. Um, and yeah, it, it was, it's been very rewarding. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. yeah. I think like, I was, I was going to say like, one of the things that I think is so interesting is that for you and Steven, both like mm -hmm. your journey is in, in, in relation to like, let's say the lessons of the past and the lessons of mm -hmm. history, um, 
figuring out the most futuristic money ever invented, right? Versus like the oldest rules ever written and mm. seeing that link. And I think it shows that people haven't necessarily changed too much in a lot of ways. Mm. There's always been people that have been, you know, let's say a little bit grafty or a little bit, you know, or a little bit crass or a little bit miserly or whatever. Like some of these mm. things that we sort of judge now on Twitter saying, oh, this guy's this way, this guy's that way. You know, we sort of put people in little boxes. But what you're saying is that the corporate box is the is one of the most like dehumanizing ones because it mm. forces you to like be like reticent about like kind of just being yourself, right? And mm. then when you look at history and you say, okay, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm aligned with these principles, then I can grow up like a tree mm. and I can just go mm -hmm. towards the sun or towards the light or towards the truth or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, what's so cool is seeing like Stephen saying like numismatic coins from 3000 years ago or 4,000 years ago or whatever it is, right. Those things can be just as valuable of a lesson as a white paper from 2008. <laughs> right. And like seeing that because humanity is still like, we're still equipped with the same appendages, you know, and the mm. same, you know, family structure in a lot of, in a lot of ways and the same power mm. structure right there's people at the top that are holding us back in some in some sense just like there always has been but like people desire that freedom that connection with something above them that they want to grow mm. into a, a higher level a higher plane of existence or spirituality or religion um and, and you know and christianity gives you that that light to go towards right and then mm. and bitcoin as an investor it gives you that light to go towards too so i just think it's like it's like a really I think it's a really great conversation. That's something that sort of our personal conversations have sort of centered around that that connection between the inside and the outside world, you know, in that mm -hmm. regard. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm it, like it's, it's man's search for meaning, right? Like, uh, yeah. and that that's something that like people have struggled with for many thousands of years. And you know, um, you know, I've been reading uh, a lot of Jacques Ellul. I don't, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he 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 wrote like two books that were pretty influential. One is the Technological Society and Propaganda. Um, but I've been reading his work and it's, it's really cool how he sort of like puts it. A lot of, uh, sort of the systems that we have right now, um, tend to be very alienating to the human soul, right? Like, uh, and I think uh, corporations are definitely one of those things that like really causes an alienation from like who you are as a human being, because it's a completely artificial environment. Uh, and it's it's one that we're forced to reckon with, despite not being very equipped for it biologically, spiritually, or any other way. Um, and and in in a sense, I, I I think like coming out of that uh, sort of like helped me heal in many ways because there there are a lot of scars from you know being in an artificial environment that I I you know I'm not necessarily equipped to deal with, and it, it's in that area where you know, meaning kind of gets lost uh, because you you end up serving the interests of somebody else like a corporation or your boss or your career or something else instead of pursuing actual meaning that uh, that that gives purpose to uh, to human life. And that that's that internal sort of thing um, that that I think uh, a lot of people kind of miss because they're, you know, living lives of quiet desperation or whatever you want to call it. It, 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 it makes it very difficult to connect um, to your humanity, if that makes sense. And that that's something that I, I hope that more people do as a result of Bitcoin, because it does kind of give you a sense of independence uh, of a lot of the 
sort of controlling systems that exist. And, and, and there, there are many. And if you read that book, you're like, oh my goodness, we're this, the, he's absolutely right. There is so much uh, that end up controlling us that we think are beneficial to humanity, but actually they're playing us, right? And, you know, I wrote in my newsletter yesterday about how dating apps are a very good example. Now, I have no experience with that, but apparently it causes a certain type of behavior from people that's completely antithetical to what they actually want. Uh, but it, it, it nonetheless sort of like they, they end up uh, conforming to its desires rather than having their, um, you know, uh, their desire, their own desires uh, fulfilled. Well, I definitely empathize with you on the corporate side because I, I spent most of my career in not only in finance, but but working for other people, you know, working for, for, for corporations, um, you know, and you, you do have to very much bury re, uh, your, your religious beliefs, your political beliefs. Um, it really hasn't been until recently that that things have shifted a little bit, but uh, but 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 you just have to bury those things and you have to keep them aside, and, and that's what you do on on your time on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And uh, like like you, I'm also a Christian, but uh, it's not mm-hmm. something you, you talk about in the workplace, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then and then even in politics, right? Uh, you know, politics has always been a taboo subject, and it really hasn't been until my involvement in Bitcoin that I've actually come out as a libertarian. You know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, which, which everybody thinks is crazy because, you know, they'll never win election, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm not part of the libertarian party. I'm just a libertarian. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, and, 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 and by the way, when, when Leah Wald and I started Valkyrie, um, you know, we, we decided that, you know, our, our values are going to be instilled in the company and that people would be able to express them. And our values, by the way, aren't the same. You know, and, and and some of the things that we, uh, you know, we, we we don't agree on a lot of those 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 types of subjects, whether it's politics or religion. But there's some values that 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 inherently have have meaning to us, and, and we make sure that you know people get to express that. As a car dealer, it's one of the weirdest things because I have to have you know, like I'm wearing a I'm wearing a shirt today that says Bitcoin on it because <laughs> we're doing the podcast. But then as soon as we're done with this, I got to put on my German car brand polo shirt and like, you know what I mean? Hey, here we go. And it's funny because like you, they, the threat, okay. As someone that's currently still in the corporate world as a franchisee, basically the threat of like somebody coming in and like looking at our store and they're like, Oh my gosh, we've got like, we've got a used BMW in the, you know, near the Porsche store, the Porsche, if the Porsche people come by and look at it, they're going to freak out. They're going to lose their mind and they're going to be so mad at us because we're not conforming to that box of expectations that they have. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, and so many people lick the boots. So mm-hmm. many people lick the boots of the, of the overlords. And we're seeing that, that rebellion now in a lot of ways, because people are like, wait a second, like, I don't have to lick the boots. I have financial, I have a financial choice. I have an opt out. You know, I have a, I have a chance to opt out and oh my gosh, there's these other people and they're like me. And they feel like they've been held back by their choices and and their, you know, their safety. And it's this classic, the Benjamin Franklin quote, right? Like if someone's willing to trade a little bit of safety for a lot of liberty, they don't deserve liberty or safety or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> that, that, that thing, you know, sticks with me a lot. And it makes mm-hmm. me think that like, yeah, you know what? For thousands of years, we've had to defend ourselves. We've, we have to defend our positions, right? We have to defend mm-hmm. our families. We have to defend our personal property, our private property. And now we have a tool where we can obscure how much our net worth is through Bitcoin because you don't have to like have it in a bank 
You know, you can mm. you, like you can know how much you have and no one else has to know. And that's kind of cool. Mm. Right. And I think mm. that that element of freedom means that you can be you can be a lot more of yourself. And I think with well, the world will be a better place with more people that feel that because then, you know, not saying we're going to centralize and say, oh, all these Bitcoiners are going to have a citadel and all the Christians are going to be over here and all the all the Jewish people are going to be over here and all the Muslims are going to be over here because that's mm-hmm. not really the idea. The idea is, hey, listen, let's all respectfully practice our own thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And and as long as we have the same money, then we're we're not going to be committing crimes against each other because our money sort of prevents so much of that. And I think mm-hmm. that's where we we have that parallel. But I think of the the hodl, like there's this there's this meme where it's like it's like what people think hodling looks like, and it's like a straight line and a guy on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, but what hodling really is, and it's like an alligator in a pit and like a, <laughs> like rocky hills and stuff. And I think on a personal journey, we all go through these really difficult choices. And the only thing that gets you through it is seeing really far ahead, you know, mm-hmm. because you're faced with this very steep rock face and you're like, oh, I got to climb up this thing. And, th- and that seems like daunting at the time. But then you look back on it later and you're like, oh, that wasn't a big deal because my destination was always worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Bitcoin does for me is it, it really is a light or a star, like a guiding North Star way far mm-hmm. out there as I'm sailing across the ocean. I know I'm going to encounter waves and sharks and p- potentially scurvy along the way. Um, you know, and all these other things, like a, some, like I'm sailing across this on this great journey, you know. But Bitcoin's my light, and that that helps me a lot in 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 a, in a career sense. Now, you know, I think it drives my my vision, um, not as heavily as maybe Michael Saylor, where it's like we make a dollar at the store. I'm like, hey, I gotta buy two dollars worth of Bitcoin because we made a dollar today. Maybe not that that extreme, but you know, it is definitely becoming a bigger part of of our business, our treasury, my family understanding it. I'm playing Batopoly with my five-year-old and my three-year-old. And my five-year-old <laughs> lost the other night to one of my friends. And she was distraught that she lost. She was like, oh, he gave me the $5 wrench attack. Ugh! You know, and like, so good. But it's not, so I think it's great. It's great to meet these people along the way, along your journey, these oracles mm-hmm. or these, these uh, soothsayers or luminaries or whatever that kind of keep mm-hmm. you pointing in the right direction. Cause there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely different people to listen to. And, you know, you, I think mm-hmm. you, we all identify with who we like a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, but once again, Jimmy, thank you for being one of those people for me, because you have <laughs> such like a clear head and you're not like out over the top out of control. You know, you're not screaming and pounding on the table, which like, cause I'm listening to these podcasts while I'm at work. I can't, I can't deal with like, Ah, you know, someone just screaming and flipping <laughs> chairs, talking about monetary freedom. You know, uh, well, I have done that, and uh, you, you, you see me do that on Clubhouse, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I think for me, uh, what what Bitcoin represents is this freedom, right? Um, and it, it is sort of like, um, uh, you know, very liberating to have this um, this thing where you're not and essentially slave to a corporation or something like that. And that's that's something that I think a lot of people kind of lose um, in the day-to-day because, it, you know, they are sort of like, you know, uh, beholden to a corporation. They they work for somebody and they're always used to sort of like working with uh, for people that they've almost lost a sense of who they are, right? Like they, they don't know what they want. And it's uh, and I, I read this about like post-slavery like South in uh, in the U.S., uh, where there were people that were like, okay, well, now I'm free. What do I do? And they they couldn't, and they ended up like going back to work for white people again. You know, like it, it, they they didn't really have a good sense 
of who they were because they had been sort of entrapped all their life. And mm-hmm. I think we have to have a lot of compassion for those people because there there are a lot of them that that are still sort of like uh, you know plugged into the matrix and they they wouldn't know what to do if they if they were uh, freed from it and so on. So yeah, it, it's. Uh, you know, I, I really do feel like uh, Neo in many ways or Morpheus, I guess, uh, like just trying to convince people, hey, like, you know, there uh, there's a better world out there and you can uh, you can get to it if if only you um, if only you sort of learn about uh, these things and sort of self-reflect and understand what's actually going on. Yeah, that's that's interesting, because I think like. If you have 24 hours in the day, how many hours do you spend freeing people from the matrix versus <laughs> fighting fighting at the sharp end of the battle, right? Because I think mm. I think all three of us are sort of like we, we understand that there's there's a lot to be done, you know, in order mm. to advance the Bitcoin agenda, to protect mm. Bitcoiners, to to and, and not so much Bitcoin itself because Bitcoin is going to be fine, like we say, right? But the Bitcoiners, mm. as we're trying to make America a better place to be a Bitcoiner and things like that, we're putting these efforts out there. And then while you're doing that, right, and we're like focusing on this, then we're not doing something over here. So I think there's mm-hmm. this, as you sort of, at least for me, as I've sort of grown forward and said, okay, I think my personal thing is I'm better at fighting the fight than I'm mm-hmm. at, you know, pulling people out of the matrix. It just, mm-hmm. I think the way that my mind works, it's, it's able to sort of like unify with the warrior spirit somehow and say, okay, let's <laughs> go fight this thing. But let's be strategic and let's not just like, you know, scream and yell and like make clappy hands with our with our with our uh, with our thumbs. We have to kind of we have to have a, a really focused and futuristic outlook. And then maybe if we if we stretch that that playing field far enough, then there'll be so much room for all these other people that they might awaken themselves a little bit, or enough people have sort of like sounded the, the alarm and they've you know exited the matrix at that point. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah and I, w- I would love to see more of that. Um, and uh, each of us has different talents, and this is what's kind of cool about it is that there there is a place for a lot of different people in Bitcoin. Um, and you know, you're you're finding your spot, CJ, obviously, and Steve, you two are uh, are finding a spot. And you know, we all have a lo- role to play, and it's it's kind of self organizing, which in itself is very uh, an interesting phenomenon. And we can we can talk about like how people self-organize a little bit differently than you might think. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of, um, a lot of different things that need to be done in order to get towards the future, uh, that I think we all sort of envision. Family moved from, you know, LA to, uh, to Nashville. Right. And, and, and speaking of self-organizing that the communities in all these different places are very different. Right. Mm. So, so the LA community was, was had, had its own personality and flavor. And I often went back and forth between LA and New York, you know, for most of my career. So, you know, New York has its own flavor and then, and then but Nashville has, has even, even a different one. It's probably, it's probably a little bit more like Austin mm-hmm. and uh, there's a, there's a big community here and uh, it's, it's a lot more about freedom and, uh, and monetary freedom. And, uh, and uh, it's a, it's a really tight knit community and, and people are very open and kind and generous. So uh yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Uh, it's great being out here and, and experiencing something, you know, even entirely different and, uh, and how all these communities are, are organizing around different ideals. Um, but, but, but all come back to, you know, sound money and, 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 and being responsible. 
So I, I just want to ask one last question. Um, mm. I think my, my allotment for questions is, is, is done at this point. <laughs> but h- how do you manage a process of writing with a team of writers? You know, like mm. having, having done that now, um, you know, I think there's a lot of like, let's say a TV comedy show for an ensemble cast. They mm-hmm. do that. But when you're writing something serious, um, mm. want to, you know, put something out there. Yeah. Uh, well, I, the, the, the way we did it is, uh, you know, I, I used the processes that I knew, which were, um, you know, code sprinting and product sprinting. And this is from like the startup world where you have to put something out in like a week or two and, uh, and test it and see, see what works. Um, so the way those generally work is you um, you do the absolute minimum necessary, but first you you plan, right? Like you go, okay, what what's this thing going to look like? So say you're doing a product sprint for an app or something, you go, okay, all right, what's the user able to do? What are all the things that the users need to be able to do? And you know, write them all out, um, and then have each person sort of like uh, you know describe it in full, and then you. Uh, you know, you have designers working on what the screens actually look like, the coders actually working on the back end and making all that work and, and so on. And you work together. And usually within a few days, you actually have something. And I've, I, I've done hackathons where you know, the, we, we use this exact process and so on. Uh, with a book, it's, uh, it's very much like that in the sense that like, uh, we, uh, like at least the way I run it, um, I, I want to know exactly who my audience is. Who am I speaking to? What what kind of person am I trying to write this book for? Who's actually going to read it? And we try to define that very, very specifically, like down to what shows they watch on TV to, you know, like what podcasts they listen to and things like that. And once you've identified the audience really, really well, um, then I, I, I have everybody write sort of the Amazon review that these people would write after reading the book. Uh, so that gives us sort of like a very clear target on what the book needs to do. Here's the beginning. Here's the, here, here's where they're going to begin. Here's the person that we've described. And here's what review they're going to leave. What content needs to go into this book in order to get them from point A to point B? Um, and then I, may, I, I have everybody write down absolutely everything that they can think of to get people from point A to point B and put it on post-it notes and we stick them all on the wall. And then at that point, we like organize them and, uh, okay, some of them are duplicates. So you can just sort of like rip them out. Um, others have like clear themes that, that are, uh, like related. So we group them all and then we label each group and those become chapter titles. Um, and then we think about like a good way to have a, uh, a narrative arc to the whole thing. Like, all right, all right how, how are you going to present this so that they end up, they, we know where they start, we know where they end. How are we going to present this so that they end and land exactly where we want them to? Um, and, you know, what, once we have that, um, that, that's a large part of the secret to like writing a book uh, as a group is, you, you know, you work together to make these uh, chapters and then you just put people to work, right? Like, it, all right. You got a bunch of post-it notes for your chapter, go write something. Um, and then ev- everybody else is going to, uh, you know, add their own thoughts and edit your chapter. So everyone touches at every chapter. So it's not anything like unique to you. Um, and at the end, uh, you know, you, you come up with something that's uh, been refined, at least uh, in the case of the two books that I've written in a cooperative setting, eight times uh, and oftentimes many more times than that. And, you know, it, it comes out pretty good, you know, like the, uh, the uh, you know, the uh, brilliance of writing 
does not come out like at, at first. Oftentimes it's in the rewriting and like sort of like ideas somebody has that gets clarified one way and then clarified another way. And then it, it comes out, it's, it's not any of your thoughts, uh, any one person's thought. It's like three people's thought that have sort of like melded and merged into something beautiful. And sometimes that doesn't work. Uh, sometimes you come, you know, it, it comes out a complete mess, in which case you have to like strike it and try again or something like that. But, um, but that, that, that has worked pretty well. And, uh, at, at least for us, it, it um, you know, it, it was a satisfying experience. I, I tell people like, uh, tell all my co-authors for both books, Hey, we're always going to have this book. It's kind of like winning a championship or something, right? Like you're like, whatever happens, we'll always have that book. And that that's not something that they can ever take away. That's great. Well, my last question is, and this, this will have to be our last one. Um, <laughs> cause I've hit my allotment too, is what do you see happening in, 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 in the Bitcoin world, as far as adoption goes in the next year? I mean, we just had El Salvador adopt it for mm-hmm. the country. What do you see happening over the next year? Yeah, I, um, I, I think the world will be watching El Salvador pretty closely. Um, the, like, the macroeconomic environment is very difficult to predict. Um, it's possible something like Evergrande ends up like absolutely blowing up and, uh, you know, crushing a lot of uh, production from China or something like that. Um, and, you know, it, it has contagion all over the world or, um, you know, causes real estate markets everywhere to go haywire or something. We we, we really have no idea. Um, and this is why the future is very hard to predict because there's always sort of like uncertainty around it. Um, but uh, regardless, I think Bitcoin adoption definitely increases. And I think people definitely see it as a store of value already. Uh, and a lot more people will see that going forward. So um, I expect in the next 12 months for, you know, um, you know, significantly more adoption, especially by institutions and so on, which you're well positioned to take advantage of, Steve. Um, and that'll that'll help with people sort of understanding what it is uh, or at least get them started on the journey to understand what it is. Um, now, whether or not they'll I, I don't think in the next year people are suddenly going to understand, uh, you know, the purpose of Bitcoin and what it really solves and all of the deep thinking that um, that comes after a while of having this. Um, but, you know, I, I think they'll be on their way. And I think that's important. And I think ultimately that uh, that will help us get towards that future that I think we're all um, you know, hoping for and working towards. Yeah, I think I think along those lines, a lot more people need Bitcoin than they realize need it, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and it's kind of like food when you're hungry, a bite of almost anything is good. And I think a lot of people get into Bitcoin a little bit desperate to flee uh, a regime or stay away from like a high pressure situation or escape a high pressure situation. And so at that point, it's water in the desert. It's a bite of bread in your prison cell. It's anything is fine, right? But then when people get too three, four purchases or months or years or whatever into it, suddenly they're like, wow, there's an actual artistry to how this is constructed. And 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 that and it's like they see that that protection layer growing around them, you know, whereas sometimes they think that little morsel is just just to get them through a difficult spot. And I think Bitcoin, like as we're seeing so much like uh friction or you know schisms or whatever happening around the world i think bitcoin really ties a lot more people together than they realize because it is really a worldwide network right 
And, and that element of like, you know, you go from nourishment to appreciation is, or like desperation to nourishment, to appreciation, to like respect or something like that. There's this arc in that, in that, in that sense that I think I can personally relate to. And I think a lot of people can, especially uh, new people, you know, can see that. And I don't know, I just want to say thank you for, uh, for being one of the, the clear, concise, uh, always good volume, good projecting of the voice, you know, uh, voices in the space, Jimmy. No, thank you so much. And you guys are too kind. Hopefully, um, you know, I can, uh, live up to the words that you guys are saying about me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's just write a book together. I'm, I'm in, Jimmy. I'm I'm in for for the next book. Hey, hey, we're, I, I, I already have other people besides you and some, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but yeah, there's okay. definitely uh, a book that we need to write and fairly quickly too, because it really needs to be there in DC. And then really quick. Uh, so you're always busy doing, you know, coding academies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What's your next, what's, what's next for you in terms of the appearance tours and, and the, uh, everything like that? What do you have going on? Uh, so the next conference I'm going to be at is the Oslo Freedom Forum, which is not taking place in Oslo this year. It's uh, it's in Miami. Uh, that's October 4th, 5th, uh, I believe. Um, and I'll be uh, there talking about Bitcoin. I think I'm on a, a, a fireside chat with Stefan Levera. Um, October 8th, I'm going to be at the Texas Blockchain Summit. And uh, that one's going to be interesting because I'm going to be the one interviewing Ted Cruz on stage. Um, November uh, 4th and 5th, I'm going to be at TabConf in Atlanta, and uh, I will be running my course there. Um, and uh, I don't have plans after that, but I, I would really like to go to El Salvador at some point and check out everything. Unfortunately, I just submitted my passport to be renewed, so... I need and they're backed up, so I, I I need that to come back first before I can even contemplate going doing that. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for joining us on the Bitcoin Bottom Line again. We're we're blessed to have the Illuminary Jimmy Song. Thanks, Dad. The opinions presented herein are solely of the individual and are not necessarily representative of Valkyrie Investments Inc. and their affiliates. There is no guarantee that any specific outcome will be achieved. Investments may be speculative, illiquid, and there is a risk of total loss of your investment. Past performance is not indicative of future.